I mean, kugel is the Jewish casserole, basically, you know, and, you know, I've had cranberry crunch kugels. I've had butternut squash. I've had just, I've had everything kugeled that can be kugeled. <laughs> but really, to me, like, you know, the gold standard is a potato kugel. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I welcome in my friend Adina Sussman, the author of Shabbat, which is honestly one of my favorite cookbooks this fall. We talk about so many things. We talk about Israeli food and Jewish food throughout the world. We talk about some of her favorite recipes, why it's actually worth making cholent and challah and some of the more traditional Jewish recipes. But we also dive into the modern Jewish table and how Shabbat reflects this beautiful time to bring together family, friends, food. I love this conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Adina Sussman, welcome to This Is Taste. Thank you for having me. My God, I can't believe this is the first time we've done it in the studio. You were at Books Are Magic a couple years ago. Can you believe four years ago? Four years since your last book. Sababa came out almost four years ago to the day, and we did a fun event together at Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. And now we're back together. And I've seen you. I saw you in March. I was in Tel Aviv. Yes. I've seen you a few times in the last four years, and that's, that's right. pretty much an accomplishment with the pandemic sandwiched in there. <laughs> well, you know what? Today's release date, pub date, we're, we're recording in early September. Holy cow. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here on pub day in New York City and um, to hold hold this yeah. he- heavy child in my hands. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's we'll get into Shabbat, the book, and it's a beautiful book. It's uh, a bit of a continuation from Sababa. Mm-hmm. So for fans of Sababa, definitely pick it up. Hit that hit that buy button, you know. Thanks. Makes a great gift. Jewish holidays coming up. Doesn't it, though? Christmas, Hanukkah, everything coming up. Yeah. Let's get into Shabbat. I, I like to, for any listener who might not know exactly what Shabbat is, I think we definitely just need to define it. Sure. Shabbat is the traditional Jewish day of rest that begins on Friday night at sundown and goes until Saturday night at sundown. And it's sort of the weekly organizing principle of Jewish life. It's about relaxation, about taking time with your family, communing. It has a spiritual aspect. And of course, a lot of it is about food. Right. It's an absolute food tradition. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to first ask you about the traditions of Shabbat in different parts of the world. I Mm -hmm. think that's a cool thing about this book is you're based in Israel. You live in Tel Aviv, but, you know, you you grew up in California and you lived throughout the, you know, country. Tell me what you know, let's first let's get into Shabbat in like in like Tel Aviv. What is Shabbat like when you when the, you're starting to get to sundown on Friday night? Sure. I mean, what's really fun about observing Shabbat in Israel is that the entire country observes it in one way or another. There are as many ways to observe Shabbat as there are people in Israel. And growing up in Palo Alto, we did it one way, but in in Israel, Shabbat is almost like a national holiday for the eighty percent of the population that is Jewish. The other twenty twenty one percent is Arab or Palestinian. Um, and it always starts with a Shabbat dinner on Friday night. That is kind of the, you know, the peak event of Shabbat. And pretty much everyone does one, you know, either with family or with friends. And there's a lot of other stuff that happens on Shabbat, but it all centers around that dinner. And beforehand, the entire country kind of slows down, takes a deep breath. As we all know, life in Israel is kind of like a contact sport. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, it's really a time for people to unwind, take a step back and sort of 
relax themselves. In Tel Aviv, that often involves taking a dip in the ocean before we light the Shabbat candles, having friends over for a drink on our porch. Yeah. And, you know, um, and of course, for for the half of Israel that is uh, more religious, there is a prayer element mm-hmm. and, you know, certain rituals that go along with it as well. So it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. But it's about the concept of Shabbat is about making a break between the week and the weekend, however you choose to do that. Yeah. It's the fact that it's like a national event. Yeah. So everyone is able to, we'll use the word unplug a little bit, yeah. even though not technically <gasps> you don't have to, but yeah. the idea that you can um, like hang out with your friends and family and not worry about certain um, external, like our weekends in America when we're not yeah. doing Shabbat, for those who don't, yeah. it's like very chaotic. Very scheduled, very packed. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the way I like to think about it is everyone that you need to be around at that moment is with you wherever you are. And so put your phone away, stay focused on that person and the experience that you're having with those friends or family and the food that's on the table. Don't worry, there will be time later for mm-hmm. texts and TV and yeah. and all the other uh, all the other things. So it's really an in the moment experience. I think that's another way of sort of framing the unplug thing mm-hmm. is about being in the moment. Unplugging but then tuning back into what's going on right now. In front of you, the yes. And there's no better way to be in the moment than in your kitchen. Absolutely. And your book um, is offering recipes um, that I will say firmly, you, you don't have to be Jewish to like these no. recipes. This is no. from one of America's best recipe developers, you. I, I mean Thank that. you. You really are. I mean, it's, you're just such a great recipe developer. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And, and I think that, um, yeah, if you're Jewish, this is a great thing to have because you, there are some holiday recipes, but also if you're thinking about like hanging out on the weekend or even during the week and you want some some really just like smart recipes, this is the book. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you say Shabbat Shalom to someone in Israel, you're wishing them a good weekend. Yeah. Um, it has as much a cultural construct and connotation mm-hmm. as a spiritual or religious one. And the recipes in this book are for everybody. Some of them are inspired by either the recipes that I was making as a child or Jewish tradition or certain fun prescriptions of cooking that we can talk about that led the development of certain types of Shabbat cooking. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, you know, who doesn't want to make like a giant stew that you put together 16 hours before and then right. just open the next day or incredible challah or tons of salads or lots of things that you can kind of prep in advance, room temperature and, you know, serve, just lay out on the table. Who doesn't want to roast a chicken with stone fruit? Who doesn't want to roast yeah. a chicken with za'atar? You know, you have a whole chicken section. Figs, let's go there. Yeah. We'll talk about recipes and, I, and we will dig into some of the Shabbat mm-hmm. recipes. But first, I think it's an important question. I would like to hear your take. I've never asked you this, I don't mm. think. Um, the difference between Israeli food and Jewish food. Sure. Um, I think Israeli food is food that is part of a, a lexicon that was created both by the local traditions, both Jewish and Arab slash Palestinian that have been around for hundreds or thousands of years, along with the dozens and dozens of immigrant groups that form Israeli culture and society. There have been people in Israel from other places for a long time, but the bulk, bulk of people living in Israel came in a couple of waves, but most of them came after 1948 when the modern state was founded. 
And with that came traditions from Morocco, Mm -hmm. from Syria, from Egypt, from Libya, from France, from the United States, from Ethiopia, you know, and everyone. These are people who've been cooking these recipes in their homelands for for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So they brought those things to Israel and helped create that. Now, when you ask an Israeli what Jewish food is, they're going to refer to all of this sort of, as we like to now say, Ashkenormative classics, (laughs) Ashkenazi being Eastern European. So if you say, oh, I'm really craving Jewish food, they'll think you're talking about chopped liver, gefilte yeah. fish, matzo ball soup, kugel, and yeah. all those things. So Jewish food in Israel is more Ashkenazi, Ashkenormative. Eastern European food. And Israeli food is that mishmash fusion yeah. blend of immigrant and local traditions. I love it. Let's go uh, talk about pre-Shabbat in another community. I think that like the religious community of B'nai Brak, like yeah. I'd like to get a sense because you you have these vignettes within the book about mm-hmm. how Shabbat and like the ramp up to Shabbat yeah. is celebrated around the world. Yeah. What's that like? Um, You know, I wanted to show the depth and breadth of life experience in Israel. I think people, you know, even myself, now I've lived there for the better part of a decade, until you're there on the ground, you have certain ideas about who lives there, what they do, and who the population is. And so I wanted to feature both rigorously observant Jews and also secular Jews because, you know, a large part of the country is not religious. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that. So the B'nai Brak section, B'nai Brak is a, an ultra-Orthodox um, sort of suburb slash city ne- right next to Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. It's where Coca-Cola is bottled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's one of the most densely populated a square, per square meter places in the world, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and you kind of feel like you're going back in time. You know, yeah. people are dressed very traditionally. They're very traditional foods. And on Thursday nights, you can do sort of a Shabbat food tour where people are both buying and eating these traditional foods until long into the mm-hmm. night. And Dan Perez, my amazing photographer, and I went one night and did sort of a traditional Shabbat food crawl, met mm-hmm. some local people, went with a guide. And it really, it's kind of, there's buzzing with a really exciting and unique energy, but a very different energy than mm-hmm. other late Thursday night energies yeah. that that you would find in Tel Aviv, just like 10, 12 miles away. Really fascinating. And I get a, I want to get a sense of when you're shopping um, and does it feel like a mad rush at times? You're rushing against the clock when you're trying to make it to sundown? I think the difference in Israel is that Friday is not a work day. So Thursday night is when our weekend officially starts. Thursday night is a big going out night Mm -hmm. because a lot of people stay home or with their families on Friday night. And Saturday night is already a work night, Mm -hmm. a school night, basically, because the the week starts on Sunday. So Friday, yes, people are running errands and trying to get all their bills paid and do all those administrative things in the morning. And then, yes, shopping in the afternoon and cooking. But it's definitely better more optimal than the American model where you're working till 5 p.m. and then running home and trying to get dinner together. Oh, my gosh, right? (laughs) There's a little bit of a wind down. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I like to, you know, I get up and I go to Cafe Tamati, my coffee joint, my home away from home. Been there with you, I believe. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, they're great there. And then I'll wind my way through the shook and sort of pick up what looks local and great and seasonal along with things that I have on, you know, my punch list or things I want to buy. And then if I'm in a full day cooking mood, I'll kind of like 
set up at home, tell friends that I'm around and people will just pop in and out when they're at the Shook, either reveling because there are tons of restaurants and bars on Friday also that people hang out at or have brunch or shopping and people will come over, they'll have a drink, they'll have some cold brew, take a load off and hang out with me while I'm cooking. And then I sort of just sort of wind my way into the late afternoon, early evening. And then within the, you know, the day of Shabbat, what's your day like then? It can really vary. Um, My husband Jay and I, we stay home a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I love being home on the weekend and I far prefer to entertain than to be entertained. I just Mm -hmm. love, you know, it doesn't, my meals are often centered around like one like nice large format protein or dish and then a few salads around it and like a simple dessert. So, you know, for me, staying home is a luxury you know, and, and yeah. being able to have friends over and, and envelop people in my style of hospitality. Yeah, and your, your cool home and cool <laughs> space, air, Thank air you. space, and just featured in the book. And I, I, I get a sense um, that, and when I, when I read the book, it is it is an entertaining book in some ways. And there mm-hmm. are, I think you give insight into formatting these meals. And I think that's really yeah. cool about the book. But I also want to release people from having any preconceived notions about what a Shabbat yes, dinner looks like right. or what entertaining is. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that as in the lead up to the release of the book. And what I realized is that ideally Shabbat cooking should meet the cook where they're at that week. You know, it could be you could decide that you want to pull out all the stops and do like a super elaborate meal. So you have the energy, the time and the resources to do that. But if you decide recently My nephew was in Israel and um, he was supposed to go to my father for Shabbat in Jerusalem and it fell through at the last minute. And I really wanted him to see all of our friends who love him. So Mm. at 10 a.m. there was no Shabbat meal. And by 8 p.m. we had 13 people over. Yeah, amazing. And but I made so and I was I had a lot of plans that day. So I allotted to myself 4 to 730 to make the dinner. And you know what? It got done. Yeah, you really, you really busted it out. I busted it out, but I also set realistic expectations for myself and also like allowed myself to, for that to be the meal that I could make in that amount of time, you know, and then be totally happy with it. Uh, what was the, what was, what were you doing that day? What was like, wow, we had vegetarians. So I did like a preserved lemon and honey glazed tofu. Um, I think I did, um, the shredded vegetable kugel from the Shabbat book. I did roast chicken, mm-hmm. um, obviously a cocktail because I always do some kind of a cocktail Yeah, it's nice to have for that. dinner, homemade challah. I put up the dough in the morning and then, yep. you know, as long as you get the dough done early enough in the day, like it's really not a, it's not, it's so not why, a drama. Let me ask you why you have a whole section about challah, mm, which is cool mm-hmm. because I think bread is such a fascination yeah. for home cooks and bakers. Yeah. But, you know, we also have a lot of great bakeries in our hometowns. Mm-hmm. Many of us go and buy sure. a challah, but like, why is it worth making a challah? I mean, I think the the process from hand kneading to seeing it come out of the oven is just super satisfying. Uh, it's usually, I mean, I'm not saying it's better because there are so many incredible bakeries, but um, I sort of like nurturing the dough along as the day goes on. It's very simple making challah. It's not like sourdough. There's exactly. not much to. I love that. There's not much to babysit, you know. 
Um, and, you know, my recipe has a little turmeric in it to give it a golden color. It has lots of eggs to give it richness. It's a little sweeter than the recipe that was mm -hmm. in Sababa, which was really popular. And also you just take the basic challah dough and do all kinds of fun things with it. I have mini braided challah breadsticks in the book. <laughs> I have a meringue-topped challah, which is a little bit radical, and I'm looking forward to seeing who makes wow. that. Um, never seen it before. How do you think – is it that a, a, a final course, dessert course? You know, I grew up Orthodox Jewish, and Orthodox Jews like sweet food. Yeah. So there's a trend for, like, challah covered in, like, a streusel topping, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. don't eat it for dessert. No, it's, like, right up there so, with the chicken. So, you know, I, I say have a little bit with <laughs> dinner, and then, like, the next morning, like, have that with salted butter. Like, to me, that's, like, oh my the gosh. dream. That's living the dream. <laughs> um, so, Adina, I want to talk about some recipes in this book, mm -hmm. but, and also some, like, big ideas. And I sure. know um, you do feature you know, soaking chickpeas for, for hummus yeah. in the book. But also you have a way of making hummus with with your with with canned chickpeas. I super, do. super easy to, to source. What is that? I mean I just drain the chickpeas. I save the chickpea liquid, which is also known as aquafaba. And then we just blend it up with trina um, and some of that aquafaba and yeah. just some really simple, you know, seasoning elements and blend it for a long time. I mean, hummus doesn't have any gluten in it, so yeah. you're not going to overprocess it. And, you know, I always say that if you if the choice is not cooking or making something with canned chickpeas, like go for it. And also they're, they're an amazing product. I mean, you know, if fresh soaked ch and cooked chickpeas are wonderful yeah. but canned chickpeas are not you know they're not they're not a fallback ingredient they're like i'd say an equal and also they're really you know the nice thing about them is they're cooked under pressure and they're seasoned so like they have salt blasted into them so like a lot of times chickpeas already have flavor in them yeah they're already we've had them all with yeah. our, on our salad <laughs> yeah if you're not low getting the no sodium kind yeah. which is fine but you know if you're just getting regular that's how i you know even when i when i cook chickpeas in the instant pot i put tons of salt in there and that's the same process of same. as buying canned chickpeas so yeah um and then that aquafaba liquid when you add some of it it adds like fluffiness and yeah. volume to the to the hummus as well have you cooked with heyday do you know that canning brand no. It's really, they have like seasoned chickpeas with harissa. Oh, oh It's a nice. really good, and I don't think it has aquafaba in it, but it has like a, a sauce already. So okay, yeah. I'm I'll like, give it a know, try. It just came to mind. Um, but right. soaking is great too. Soaking is great. And, um, you know, in Israel, there are two types of chickpeas. There are chickpeas for salads and chickpeas for hummus. Right. And the hummus chickpeas are from, mostly from Bulgaria, mm -hmm. and their variety is called hadas. And the skins are very thin and they're, the chickpeas are small. So there's not, you don't have to do that. Some people, you know, like to skim out the skins or yeah. even hand. It can be a little chickpeas. bit of a, a process to skin. Yeah. I'm not, there's a Yiddish term called pochki, which means like fussing in the kitchen. I'm not a pochkier. So like <laughs> you will not find me individually popping chickpeas out of their shells. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Let's talk about Trina Tahini. What's the mm. best way to think about tea? I mean, it's not all created equally, right? It's not. I mean, Obviously, it should only be made with 100% chickpeas. 99% um, of the good tahini in Israel is made with uh, sesame seeds from Ethiopia, yeah. from Humera, and typically uh, made uh, by Arabs and Palestinians and bought by Jews. And it's one of those examples of cultural and culinary co commercial coexistence that happens every day. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their favorite brands. Right. Um, there are some... Even the good American brands are made in Israel yeah. or, you know, Zoom yeah. or Palestine, Zoom. Right. And then in Israel, there are like some great brands that 
that people uh, turn to again and again. There's all ours. There's Harbracha. There's the one with the dove. <laughs> there are so many, and there are new ones all the time. You know, yeah. but there are some that are better than others. Yeah. And one of the things that distinguishes good tahina is um, the chick. This the sesame seeds are soaked in salt water. Wow, I didn't know that. No way. Um, it helps release the inner hull from the outer ah, right. part, and and then it's run through a centrifuge to remove that outer shell, and that's. And so if you're not doing whole tahini, which most tahini is not in Israel, it's mostly that inner hull. So also the best tahina is kind of pre-seasoned with salt. It's one of those like little dirty little secrets that people yeah. don't realize. And yeah. also it's about how deeply it's roasted. And Yeah, well, the color can be different coming out of the, the, oh, white, yeah. the white bottle. I think you can get definitely darker ones. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Really fascinating. Now, There's a lot of tahina in this book. Yeah. You know, I wrote a tahina cookbook. There's so many tahini recipes. You did, like the short stack? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that. There's so many tahini recipes in Sababa. And as much as I tried to get away from it in this book, like I'm already, it's day one and I'm already seeing the thing that's going to bubbling up is the shaken tahini iced coffee. Oh, somebody already like did a little post? People are just talking about it. People who got the book in advance, people are making it. I love that. It's a good. You have a baby viral recipe already (laughs) and it's like literally our like 14. Nascent. Nascent is great. Yeah. Now, um, Kugel. So, mm-hmm. okay, a whole chapter about Kugel. I'm, you know, Jews around uh, the world know Kugel as a Passover food, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or a breakfast Yom Kippur food. Or break and the, the noodle pudding with you the, know what? you know, with the cottage cheese Good and point. the, you know, breakfast. I, I, it was a more Passover in my in my household, mm-hmm. and, but it is a great breakfast. But those are only two nights of the mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And you're proposing that Kugel is a year-round event. I mean, in my home growing up, Kugel was a weekly event. That's, ma- and that's cool. in most Orthodox Jewish homes, it is, and specifically potato Kugel. I mean, Kugel is the Jewish casserole, yeah. basically. You know, and, you know, I've had cranberry crunch kugels. I've had butternut squash. I've had just, I've had everything kugeled that can be kugeled. <laughs> but really to me, like, you know, the gold standard is a potato kugel. Really? Not not egg noodle? No. I mean, I just... I love it. There's nothing like a really beautifully, perfectly baked potato kugel that has a latka level crispy exterior and a souffle level creamy interior with lots of eggs, a really generous amount of salt and oil. That's some um, food science right there. Oh, How do you make it work? How do you do it? You squeeze the liquid out of the potatoes. Right? You grate the potatoes and the onions together to right. keep them snowy white. Um, you put oil in the casserole dish and heat it for 10 to 15 minutes before you pour the batter in. Yeah. And then you spoon some of the hot oil over the top and then you just let it go for like two hours. Yeah. Um, you know, my recipe calls for four and a half pounds of potatoes that has six eggs in it. Wow, that's and amazing. Half a cup of oil or maybe more. Yeah. Um, it's really like a potato pudding. Um, and it, the crunch, the contrast of the crunch, the creamy and the crunchy, and it's just I made a huge one last week to film for uh, for a partnership that I'm doing for the book. And Idaho potato board? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> it was gone. Yeah. You know, it was just devoured with it. And also it's it's vegetarian. Yeah. You know, I like noodle kugel, but also in a kosher home, you wouldn't do the noodle kugel with the dairy in it at a meat meal. So, yeah. you know, my mother actually made one that had pineapple and raisins. Um, and You're it was talking, that's, that's me right So there. good. Like Canned pineapple, obviously. Obviously. Only. I mean, why go fresh when you got got the can when you're oh yeah drinking, obviously so so you've got like five recipes yeah seven recipes some of like that uh five kugels yeah 
Um, I could have done more. Um, but you know, the matzo kugel is really good. And also the the my mother's vegetable kugel kind of alludes to my California childhood. You know, we always had a lot of zucchini and carrots yeah. around. And it's really sweet. And someone who tested the recipe for the book said, like, when you eat the leftovers, it almost tastes like a, a torta espanol. Yeah, you know, totally. like just, I get that. You can have it at, like, room temperature. Room temp in a sandwich. In a, Stuff ooh. that in a pita. I like, your, I like your style there. Stuff in a pita. Put it in a pita. Okay, so what is it about Jews' quest to find a nice piece of fish? <laughs> I mean, I think <sighs> fish is – sorry? You know what I'm talking about, right? No. You don't know this whole thing. Okay, so – I feel like growing up, my relatives between yeah. grandmothers, yeah. mother, like relatives, yeah. it, uh, my Jewish family, mm-hmm. it was like when there's like three or four or five options of a restaurant, oh. the idea like a nice piece of fish. would be like, I'm just feeling like a nice <laughs> piece of fish. Now, this has translated to my wife's family, too. I mean, so, it probably has to do with at least where our families came from, yeah. you know, the scarcity, you know, we're talking carp land, you know, gefilte fish, (laughs) lake fish at best, you know. (laughs) So I think the fish is luxury. And also for it, again, like sort of alluding back to kosher dietary laws, like you could eat a a piece of fish relatively safely if you were, you know, kosher and kind of feel like you were still keeping the, you know, observing the rules. And and, um, we definitely did the nice piece of fish and thing in my family. My mother made fish once a week also. Thank you for being game for that question because it was a little abstract. No, I like it. But but I think you have a full fish section in the book and you have a lot of creative recipes. Yeah, it's simple. Um, You know, I have two salmon recipes in there. I feel like salmon is really good for room temperature Mm -hmm. cooking and it's hard to overcook. And one of them has like a delicious tomato jam on top with cherry tomatoes. And then there's a really nice just like white fish with capers and lemon and breadcrumbs. That's a super simple. Um, I've got some Mexican gefilte fish with a with a tomatillo sauce that I love. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Palo Alto and we had Mexican Jewish friends and they used to serve gefilte fish baked in tomato sauce with olives. It's called like a Veracruzana style. No way. <laughs> Patty Yenich also has a recipe yeah. like that. But my um, there's a... a Taqueria in Jerusalem owned by a Oaxacan guy who's mm. married to an Israeli woman. And he and his family, Luis Cruz and his wife and sister-in-law taught me how to make the gefilte fish with the tomatillo sounds- sauce. And the book is filled with recipes from different traditions that I was privileged to learn with people in their homes. You would hang out and oh, yeah. go and meet them at restaurants. We'll get to because I want to talk and about homes. restaurants in homes. In, in homes, mostly mm-hmm. homes, but I do want to talk about restaurants yeah. in Tel Aviv and oh, Jerusalem yeah. and throughout the country. Sure. I have a couple more questions about the book. Let's talk about Shabbat chicken. Oh, yeah. I kind of cooked a bunch in my head when I was looking mm. at your book, and it's such a nice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken's a really important protein uh, for Jews around the world. It chicken is. Soup is a big part of culture, but also just roasted mm-hmm. chicken. Yep. Um, I looked at them all, and they all have, we can talk about some of them, but you're, the one that really I landed on was your mom's Shabbat yeah. chicken, which I think I'm going to make first. I really mm-hmm. like that one. Yeah, it's, you know, it's chicken pieces, first of all, which I think are unsung heroes of quick cooks everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to roast a whole chicken to have delicious chicken. And um, my mom's chicken was, could not have been more simple. I mean, it was onions. She laid the chicken on top of a bed of onions and then she sprinkled all kinds of dried spices on top. 
But the onions start cooking a the little bit ahead of time, right? A little, yeah, and, they, yeah. and then they get a kind of schmaltzy yep. um, and delicious. Um, and you just kind of serve the chicken with this schmaltzy onions, and you know, a lot of roast chicken recipes have potatoes. And I just wanted, I wanted to really honor my mom's memory. This was the recipe that she made all the time. I, it speaks to me because it doesn't have like potatoes and carrots getting in the way. No. Um, and the way the or photo, celery or any of that or stuff. celery. Um, yeah. I like that the photo is a beautiful photo, and it just like shows how the onions have been reduced mm-hmm. with the schmaltz yeah. and caramelized, and, and very simple and elemental. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you might find yourself making it during the week too. <laughs> What's another chicken recipe in the book? Because I, I know many of our listeners sure. will go straight to that that section. No. I actually think that. Sugachuri pargiot. I know that's a mouthful, but basically I created a condiment called sugachuri, which is a combination of Yemenite hot sauce and chimichurri. Sugachuri. Yeah. That's bad <laughs> ass. I like that. Sugachuri. Yeah. Because sug, the Yemenite sug, which is really spicy. And some, fun to say. Sometimes it's too much to just slather that on something. Yeah. Like you you might send, you know, people. It's like a three alarm situation. So I wanted to loosen it up and I love chimichurri. So I added some shallots and some vinegar and loosened it with more olive oil. So it turned it more into like a little bit of a sauce. Yeah. And then I marinate chicken. Yes. And then I marinate uh, dark meat chicken thighs in that. And then um, I make a really nice uh, persimmon and avocado salsa. You know, I love the sort of like mango avocado salsa thing, but persimmons were in season when I was working on this book and it all just felt very fall yeah kind of it sort of takes a very summery grilled type recipe and like like moves it into inside into like a roasting Mm -hmm. situation i Mm -hmm. like that yeah let's talk about cholent i feel cholent at home i've been hungry i've been to budapest i had cholent there Uh it's really nice i don't think about it as a cook dish but i I think you put it in your book because you want people to make it so why should you make it yeah i mean you know, cholent is the Jewish cassoulet. It sure is. <laughs> and, you know, it, it requires a little bit of work on the front end. But, you know, once you get it in the pot and on the stove, like you, you say bye-bye for 12 to 16 hours. And then all you need to do the next morning is just open that pot up. And you've got a full meal and a bowl. So, like, to me, that's a win-win. Absolutely. And cholent or chamin or tafina, those are all names for these stews. You know, they, they also tell a lot of immigrant stories because every country has uh, their flavors. There's a, there's a cholent in the book that has t- uh, tequila, which is a like a Moroccan sort of chili oil. Yeah. We all know chili oils are very trendy right now. Yeah. We've <laughs> published then, uh, one book and there's like yeah. the other ones too. And then there's um, there's one that has – my Ashkenazi version has like some pastrami in it, like, like just wow. like a whole piece like nestled in the top. And then there's one that Benny from um, the Gazo's shop, sparkling drink shop with whom I wrote a cookbook, his starts with this amazing reduction of Swiss chard and all an oil that kind mm. of reduces into this very irony, minerally kind of condiment. And you stir that into the the stew that has both beef and chicken, white beans, and then it has semolina dumplings made with lamb fat. And it's just like incredible. Yeah, it it's like, like so incredible. deep. There's so much. That's a Benny dish? That's a Benny's yeah, mom dish. Yeah. Man, if you're in Florentine uh, yeah. and you want to have a good time, hang, mm-hmm. hang out at the Gazis shop there. Get it. Guy's great. Um, I I love this talk about all the home cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get into restaurants because yeah. I, if you visit Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Haifa, mm-hmm. go north or go mm-hmm. south to Beersheba, you're going to find cool food. And you are so really tapped in to restaurants. Um, I'm just going to throw out a, 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 an idea, I think, post-pandemic mm-hmm. coming out of it. Um, Tel Aviv seems extremely robust right now with restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, there is new stuff opening 
I mean, I left town four days ago. I'm sure something good has opened up in yeah. town. So when you're visiting Tel Aviv, let me ask you, I mean, we could go over like favorite sure. restaurants, but I, I'd like to get a sense of like, what is the restaurant scene like in this city that I think many mm-hmm. should visit? I'm I'm a huge fan of it. So I think it operates on many levels. Um, first of all, there's an incredible morning like cafe culture. Yeah. Just there are an increasing number of really good bakeries with fabulous pastries that also have a nod to local culture. You know, like at a Mita bakery, you can get, you know, a croissant that's brushed with rosemary, simple syrup and, you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, Moving into lunch, I mean, you know, Israel for a long time was a blue collar and agrarian society. So there are these like lunch worker places and a lot of really good restaurants are only open until like three or four o'clock in the afternoon in addition to hummus joints, which mm-hmm. are are on a similar schedule. Yeah. Um, and then for dinner, you know, it's a very unbuttoned and casual place, but the food is on a really high level. But you would never – you sometimes you can't distinguish between – like white tablecloth food or just super casual yeah. food unless, you know, you're really like paying attention because of the uh, based on the way some place looks. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as Israel develops, um, people are just more and more into the casual, the delicious. Like we went to Ibn Ezra together yeah. when you were there. And, you know, it's a very high level of cooking on a very casual and informal Extremely. presentation, you know. Reminds so. me a little bit like Momofuku, early Momofuku. It's like, yeah. like these like fine dining chefs doing like more casual lunch service. Yeah, I love Ibn Ezra. That was a great, great, great call. I love that place. Yeah, like lemon lemon chicken patties yeah. and the, that amazing kebab Adana, that yeah. lamb kebab, on, mm. you know. Um, and I think, you know, there is a large sort of fine dining refugee scene like a lot of chefs who have you know fine dining experience are opening just like little joints yep. because they want to do something different and like get closer to the food and yeah. have a more relaxed schedule yeah so yeah and they're just always there's rumors that michelin's coming to town which i have mixed feelings about very much so i'm sure there's a checkbook being open to get them there they oh yeah inspectors oh, yeah. yeah i mean um, i guess any way to bring like like yeah you know focus on on cool restaurants yeah. is nice but and i think the new tr- that i'd say another trend right now is wine bars with really good food because yeah. food uh, restaurants in Israel are really expensive. Um, and so if you can go to a wine bar and have a really nice glass and like some small plates mm-hmm. and get away with like a lower tab. So there are quite a few. One that just opened is Shafui, which is from Jonathan Borowitz, who is the chef of M25, mm-hmm. which is considered one of the top steakhouses in town. Yeah, we went there, right? Back like a yeah. two, two years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has trip. an yeah. amazing little French style wine cool. bar with uh, incredible food. And then yeah. another one called La Cité, which is owned by one of the partners in Cafe Tomati, my coffee place, yep. Rina, the same woman whose cookies we're going to talk about. Mm. Rina, Avishai's mother, inspired all the Moroccan small plates at the restaurant. Yeah. I Now, do you do you offer uh, a guide on your website to dine um, in Tel Aviv? I'm getting there. Yeah, you're getting there. You get a book. I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, you do a culinary tour a couple yes. times a year. Let's talk about that because I think uh, for our listeners, they might want to mm-hmm. like hang with you in Israel. Yeah. So um, in the last year, I've done two eight-day trips. Yeah. Um, 
where we visit with the chefs that I know and have really unique special experiences and go to the markets and also kind of try and get a larger grasp of Israeli culture and society with some really good talks and yep. also amazing wines in Israel. So there's a lot of wine content. Visiting up in the Galilee. Yeah. Galilee, the desert now. There's really? amazing wines nice. down south. Um, and actually in des- end of November and December, Michael Solomonov and I are doing a tour together. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Like you this- and Mike taking it on the road. It's called Mike and Adina's Excellent uh, Culinary Adventure. And um, as of now, we have 50 people signed up. Wait, like... We're like, doing a two-bus tour. I mean, like, for real 50? That's... We're for real 50, and we, we're producing all kinds of signature chef events and going to be concerts in the desert, and people are going to get to do amazing things that you don't ever really I, get to do. I mean, so I'll link to that in the show notes. Also, yeah. I'm going to plug Taste Travels. We're going to announce three trips oh, next year. amazing. Yeah, so we, we did one with Susie Karache oh, um, wow. this past June in Puglia, mm. and we're going to have three more we're announcing for 2024. So. Congratulations. Hey, man, it's fun, and, and you— You've said it really well. Like these trips are are very um, immersive and bespoke. Yeah, truly, ideally. And, and like you want to, you're hearing this conversation, you're hearing Adina talk about food here. But like, listen, you can get Adina on a bus talking about food is pretty cool too. Yeah, and like, just why not? You know, yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be really fun. Um, so we often neglect the last recipe mm. in a cookbook, mm-hmm. but not here. We're we're actually going to go there. Yeah. And so on page three sixty five, you have a recipe: Rena's nut crescent cookies. You just referenced it previously. Let's give that mm, its time. Sure. So every morning at Cafe Tomati, there is a selection of house-made cookies by uh, Avishai's mother, Rina. And about two years ago, these sort of little horns, cookie horns started showing up and they were so nutty and chewy and they had this aroma and taste of lemon zest and they were incredible. And I asked him where they were from and he said that Rena made them. And so Avishai took me up to his mom's house past Haifa and we made oh, them man. together. We baked them together um, and they are gluten-free. Coincidentally, um, they are so delicious. They're so... F- filling and satisfying and nutty and chewy and crispy. Um, And, you know, like every recipe in Israel, there's a story behind, Mm -hmm. you know, Avishai's mother, Rina, she moved to Paris in the 90s and she had a hair salon there. And she was part of the Moroccan Jewish community. And she took a roots trip to Morocco where she met an incredible pastry chef who just opened her eyes to all these amazing um, authentic cookies from her, from Moroccan and Jewish tradition. And she just started making and baking tons of cookies. And this is one of them. And, I love it. And they're so easy to make. You Actually, you chill the dough in advance. You can make a double batch, triple batch, and then you can freeze the cookies after they're made. They're so Super yummy. I you love can this. mix and match the nuts that you use. Yeah. They're great. I love a gluten-free nut cookie for for all. Oh yeah. It's great. Oh yeah. Um before I get to the final section, I want to ask you, so what's next for you? You've collaborated on mm. Cookbooks with Chrissy Teigen. You've mm-hmm. written with other um, chefs and writers. Yeah. You have uh, these two, Sababa and Shabbat. Yeah. What's next? Um, I am focusing on um, I still work with Chrissy. Yeah. I do all kinds of culinary sure. stuff with Chrissy. And um, I'm also really enjoying the tours. And I'm also doing like speaking gigs in the United States where I talk about sort of the intersection of my Israeli and Jewish food identities and sort of how that has evolved of, over the years as I've lived in Israel longer. 
Um, and there might be another cookbook in the works. I bet there will be one. We'll have you <laughs> back. But we, you have a full tour throughout oh, the rest of the yes. fall. And so I will link to it. You have a tour section of your, yes, your you website. Yes, you can look on my website. All as, as the links are coming in, we're adding them there. Great. That's the most updated place. Yeah, uh, really fun event. You, you, you do nice events. So Thank you. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Adina, on This is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to sure. close this interview, yes. here's a little rapid-fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? I'm ready. The best AM pastry with coffee? Palmier. The best dessert? Panna cotta. Oh, yes. I Always. Mean, what do you put on top of it? Um, seasonal fruit of different kinds. Also, in that vein, there's a amazing hummus place in Tel Aviv called Shlomo and Daron, and he's doing like yeah. a malabi panna cotta with yeah. a za'atar Daron. olive oil topping. That's the shit. Daron is so good. Za- za'atar maple olive oil topping. The best bread? Challah, of course. I mean, it would be off-brand and, <laughs> and also untrue if you said something else. So. Okay, the best music to have in your restaurant, dining room, band, or genre? Diggable Planets, Tribe Called Quest. That's my cooking music. Dude, like boom bap hip hop from the 90s, East Coast. The best. Love that. Nickelback of Funk. Um, your favorite cookbook of all time. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to go Sentimental, um, the Spice and Spirit cookbook, which is a Jewish cookbook where my mother, who did not grow up knowing any Jewish foods, learned how to cook Jewish food. Oh, man. Was um, that like a community cookbook? Or it's was a it? Chabad cookbook. Yeah. And my sister has it. And I have... My mom's New York Times cookbook, and those are the two books. Those are the two pillars of her kitchen. I love that. Your your favorite recent cookbook discovery? It's okay. um, I really like I really like Abra Barron's books. Yeah. Um. So her most recent fruit cookbook just like really inspired me, and also I love Martha Holmberg's tomato book. Yeah, I think the Mar- I, Martha's book is great. I love Abra's fruit yeah. book. It's it's wonderful. I think single subjecty books are kind of having a little bit of a yeah. renaissance, like more like a slice, a focused book. I agree, and I enjoy them a lot. Uh, your favorite chef in America right now. Michael Solomonov, just because I'm not eating out in the States that much, yeah. and he's, like, my best friend, and yeah. I think he's an incredible person and chef. He doesn't miss either. His restaurants are so good. <laughs> Your favorite chef in Israel right now? Oh, that's a really good question. So there's an amazing new restaurant um, in Tel Aviv called Tresar, and the chef is Aner Ben Raphael Foreman. He has he jokes that he's an expert at creating really popular restaurants that close down. <laughs> <laughs> so we had one called Igra Rama that closed right before COVID, and um, another one called um, Alter that mm. also closed for different reasons. He just opened in a really beautiful location in the Northport in Tel Aviv, and he is a master with vegetables. Um, he also has, of course, incredible proteins, but all the pastas are house-made and made from semolina. So they have a real chew. Um, he has a lot of signature dishes that involve tomatoes. Um, he made a tomato panna cotta, which blew my I mind. mean, it's all sounds. And I just had it uh, right before I left. So I'd say yeah, on air. Good, good call. Your last one, the favorite sandwich. My favorite sandwich is a sabich sandwich, yep. which is a piece of really well-cooked eggplant, sometimes crispy, uh, with hard-boiled egg, Israeli salad, sometimes potato, and amba, which is amba, a, baby, which is an amazing condiment that charts the Iraqi Jewish community's journey to India and back to Iraq before moving to Israel. We need more amba in our lives. Oh, amba forever. Amba forever. Adina Sussman, thank you so much for joining. This is Taste. Thank you for having me. 
This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.